What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical, and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, I yeah. am. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health, episode 117. I got Justin O'Donnell with me. They're coming for him. That's what he told me. <laughs> What's going on, dude? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. No, glad you're here. Um, I decided that I wanted to have this conversation. I've watched you on Reed's show and I think on uh, Break the Cycle a few mm-hmm. times as well. And um, I saw that you had James Lindsay coming after you. Uh, do you just kind of want to get the genesis of what, what kind of went on there? So, I mean, crazy story. Like, first off, I am terrible at paying attention to like pop culture icons, even within the Liberty movement. I had no clue who James Lindsay was until the other night. <laughs> Like the name didn't ring a bell. I wasn't even familiar with this whole like little research study thing that he did that got famous. I like, I just, I tune out. And like, if it doesn't happen locally here in New Hampshire with the Free State Project, I generally don't care. So I've tuned out a lot of the national figures in the culture war and libertarianism. And it just it caught me off guard when somebody with 300,000 followers starts quote tweeting me upset about a tweet I made. Uh, but all I tweeted was um, the right is doing to the word groomer what the left did to the word racist and i tweeted it like three days prior and it was a dead tweet it got like 20 likes and nobody paid attention to it he went looking for it uh-huh. and then it, it instead of the thousand or so people it had reached after three days it ended up reaching like four hundred thousand people because of the controversy he caused over it <laughs> yeah um i actually really like that tweet because i feel like it's true and i, I think it's kind of paints the broader picture that guys like you me read and a bunch of other guys have kind of been warned about that this swing back to the right culturally isn't just going to be all sunshines and ponies and now you know our populist um utopia is going to be about i spent the past two years trying to warn people that florida is a bait and switch for liberty like people talking about ron DeSantis as the voice for liberty and the voice for freedom i'm like 
<laughs> you had an anti-lockdown governor. Great. He literally sucks on everything else. Yeah. Like he's literally trying to use the state as a weapon to punish private businesses that disagree with his politics. He's literally trying to criminalize dissent against his regime. Like he makes it illegal to exercise your own property rights in Florida if he disagrees with your decision making behind them. Like, like he is a petty tyrant. But like the liberty movement's like, oh, he's our hero because he stopped COVID. Like he didn't stop shit. Like it was a fucking cold and no one was getting sick to begin with. He just didn't lock people up. Yeah. And um, like I said, I think we've all been kind of raising the alarm about this. And um, it doesn't take much digging below the surface to see that if he, I, I like the way that Reed puts this, but he is literally the right wing Obama. That's all there is to it. Because if he gets in to be president, which I think actually is a decent likelihood in 2024, um, we're going to see probably a lot more war, a lot more expansion yep. of the um, spying state and all the different stuff that really made the 20th, you know, the 21st century as bad as a, it is. A federal crackdown on states that have decriminalized or legalized marijuana. Yeah. I, like, it, it's not going to be pretty for people. And even more so, even if he doesn't run for president, if he runs for re-election in Florida and is re-elected in governor of Florida, good for them. They, they don't have to worry about a lockdown again. But I like to point out to people the difference in between New Hampshire and Florida and how we approach lockdowns and dealing with a petty tyrant conservative governor. Um, New Hampshire had lockdowns. Florida didn't. New Hampshire's lockdowns were completely unenforced. They had no teeth to them. The governor was so scared of libertarians that the executive order had so many exemptions to the lockdown that it was actually permissible. And you could just say, I'm a free stater. I'm exempt. <laughs> and that was allowed. Like that was a that was an acceptable like excuse to violate the lockdown. So it didn't fucking work. I, I know people who went two years shopping at local businesses every day and never wore a mask once. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a restaurant that made it three quarters of the way through the pandemic without ever doing a mask, never shutting down, never doing nothing until a Karen called the health department on them. Mm-hmm. Eighteen months through it before somebody called the health department on them, and like and they were able to open right at the beginning of the pandemic and stay in business and thrive. Um, because people didn't give a shit here in New Hampshire. People didn't give a shit in Florida, but people cheerleaded for Ron DeSantis using his ex- executive authority to mandate non-compliance with federal lockdown re- uh, regulations and CDC recommendations and everything, where Ron DeSantis made it illegal for a private business to exercise their own hiring rights and property rights and voluntary association rights about who they contracted with and require vaccines if they wanted to. Now, I, I'm not vaccinated. I actually lost a job because I wasn't vaccinated, but I still don't think an employer should be forced to retain me if I don't want to follow their standards, especially when I worked tangentially to healthcare. Like, that's a big thing that a lot of people were concerned about. But here in New Hampshire, we didn't use executive power. Our governor actually was in favor of the lockdowns. He likes to do whatever Massachusetts does. He thinks it'll make him popular. But our legislature is very libertarian. And in fact, there there are maybe 30 or 40 members of the New Hampshire House of Representatives who I would say are more libertarian than Nick Sarwark ever was, never mind is anymore, (laughs) and are more principled than most libertarian state party chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite a few of them are actually dues-paying members of LPNH, but they got elected as Republicans. But by being in there, they were able to do things like propose a bill that eliminated the governor's ability to ever issue another executive order on lockdowns, to eliminate the governor's ability to ever issue another emergency authorization for greater than 10 days, uh, to limit the governor's ability to ever shut down schools again without parental consent. Mm -hmm. Like, we didn't rely on a governor to just not do the things. 
we told the governor you're not allowed to do the things. <laughs> Meanwhile, Florida relied on their governor seizing power to stand up against the feds. And that's great. But it's not about the tyrant you have in power now. It's about who comes next. What happens when Ron DeSantis does run for president and a Democrat wins that seat? Now they have all this new executive power that Ron DeSantis granted the office, mm -hmm. but they disagree with everything he did with it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, like you said, the big bait and switch. And right. I could foresee that happening, if not 2024, 2028. And that seems to be something that's just like completely out of people's minds, specifically these populist right wingers and a lot of the paleo guys who I agree with them on a fair shake of things. But the me problem, too, but they hate me. <laughs> the, the, the big problem is is that like you said they've literally granted all this power to DeSantis and yeah it looks great when he's punching back the left and he's sharp but though once again you're basing your entire freedom around one guy who could easily be out of there now I don't think he's going to be thrown out in 2024 if he chooses not to become president but um like some people are saying oh Hector Roos is going to spoil him like this dude has like 300 Twitter followers dude the same fucking happened <laughs> Here's the thing, like, so people, social media influence on elections, so what, what the libertarian can do in Florida, I don't know, mm -hmm. but like social media influence on elections is such an unstudied thing, especially in the age of modern Twitter, like we don't know, we can't predict. There was an election that happened where um, an incumbent with like 150,000 followers on Twitter at a state rep level yeah. lost to somebody with seven followers who spent $30 on their campaign. That's right, yeah, over New Jersey. Yep. Right. But then at the same time, there was a woman in, on TikTok who just posted a four second video of her wearing uh, pasties and dancing on top of a pole that forced a runoff in, in another state. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it can, she had no policies, nothing, but mm -hmm. she posted a picture of, I'm running for governor with just pasties. And it forced a runoff when she mm -hmm. got like 9% of the vote. Holy fuck. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I remember um, fucking Ted Cruz, of all people, talking about how many votes could be swung due to uh, social media and the way that they manipulate certain things. And you're absolutely right. Like TikTok, dude, you could get millions of views on TikTok, and it seems to be kind of a platform that a lot of people are moving to. I, I won't go there, but... Um, I love TikTok. By the way, uh, TikTok is fantastic. If you get the TikTok algorithm right with your swipes, it shows you exactly what you want to see. The problem is so many kids are starting to get interested in geopolitics at the ages of like 15 to 25. Um, and that's where TikTok actually comes into like manipulating is in politics. Mm -hmm. My TikTok is almost exclusively music. It's an incredible platform. Um, but the, like when I do, I have another account, which I do post political shit on when I'll scroll through, it's almost exclusively pro-Ukrainian propaganda. Are you serious? Right. And that confuses me because they're yeah. a Chinese company. So why are they rooting for Ukraine when they're on Russia's side and things? Right. Just to cause division of the U.S. That's all they actually care about. That's fucking insane. And if you, if you, uh, if you log into TikTok with a VPN and oh. you somehow manage to get yourself a Chinese IP address, all the videos that trend with millions of views and hundreds of thousands of likes our kids doing math and science and engineering projects but in the united states all the videos that are trending and have millions of followers and likes are girls shaking their ass and kids hurting themselves yeah no wonder fucking asians are so smart jesus christ <laughs> like 
That that to me was the first ding when when I saw that posted and I tried it myself. I'm like, oh, it doesn't even matter what I like because my algorithm's sure shit not asking for engineering videos, but they're pushing it to me mm -hmm. just because wow. they think I'm in China. Holy fuck! Yeah, you see, well, you know what? It's funny that you bring up China because I'm sure you probably know where I'm going with this. But a lot of these <laughs> populist right wingers, what's the first thing you hear out of their mouth? Everything sounds good. But then as China. soon as you get to China, yeah, oh, everything's China. Marjorie Taylor Greene will lay out this beautiful speech. It sound like Ron Paul wrote it himself. But yep. then she says, oh, well, we need to stop all these wars so we can focus on China. Like, <laughs> And then they'll always lead it with, oh, we're not – no one's saying go to war with China. But we should just run warships through there, yep. do military drills. We should, um, you know, arm Taiwan to the teeth. We should do everything, everything we can to provoke China. But nobody's calling for war with China. So here's the crazy part. Like, as a libertarian, as somebody with, like, a very, very strong anti-war background, the anti-war stances and anti-militarization stances were brought me from the to the liberty movement after I left the army. Uh, yeah. And it was my experiences in the army. And I, I, my degree, my academic background is split, where, like, I have a graduate degree in Homeland Security mm -hmm. and my bachelor's in emergency management with a focus on public health. So crazily enough, like a pandemic in a world war is like right in my academic wheelhouse to deal with. And everything I know <laughs> academically on how to deal with either of these situations is in direct contradiction with my libertarian values. Mm -hmm. And so like early on in the pandemic, people like masks are evil, masks will kill you. I'm like, no, they won't. And they're probably going to eradicate the flu. They won't do anything against the coronavirus, but they mm -hmm. will eradicate the seasonal flu. Turns out they eradicated the seasonal flu. <laughs> Oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> uh, but did nothing it like increased the sanity people being scared enough to wash their hands more regularly and socially distance when they're sick eradicated the flu who the fucking thunk it anybody mm -hmm. who studied public health for 10 minutes or more um but conspiracy theorists say no they're just writing off the cases as covid mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah there's so many the conspiracy theorists in the liberty movement have ruined so much not just from covid oh i agree, China, I agree. And war on terror and the new Russian-Ukrainian war, but all the way back to 9-11. 9-11 conspiracy theorists ruined the anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it seems like, and people throw rocks my way, when they start talking about the vaccine, and look, I'm not vaccinated, I had COVID, and mm -hmm. it, it like wasn't even a fucking thing, right? My fiance and I lost her taste and smell, that was like it. Actually, I lost my taste and smell, she only lost her smell. Um, it, it like wasn't a big deal at all. And I, I, I won't get vaccinated because the evidence shows that it's actually harmful for people under the age of 30. And as, as far as I've read, um, but like when I see people saying that in years, think about what they're saying in years, we're going to see so many people die from these vaccines. Could they be right? Sure. But like, okay, well, if you're going to make a, a pretty outrageous claim like right. that, then where is your evidence? <laughs> and so then, the, then they think you're like sipping for it. Well, real know. quick, real quick. The point I was going to make on China that I forgot Sorry. when I rambled. Yeah, I rambled. But uh, <laughs> the point I was going to make there is given the current geopolitical climate and economic climate and our ties to China and the overt measures China is making, war makes sense. In every academic, in every academic pursuit of it, in every geopolitical pursuit of it, it makes total sense for the U.S. to posture militarily against China right now to protect sure. our own economic interests in the world in our own position in the world as a libertarian i think that's abhorrent as somebody who studied <laughs> who's somebody who studied homeland security extensively mm -hmm. who's written about it extensively and who's experienced uh living in a tactical mindset in the military it makes yeah. sense to me
Mm-hmm. And that terrifies me because if I can reconcile that and still lean towards my libertarian principles, a lot of people are going to reconcile that and go with the Beltway libertarian saying it's our responsibility to defend Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. And well, you're already <laughs> seeing it because what did the old libertarian party do? They said Taiwan is a country. Like, <laughs> I, I see it is. It should yeah. be. They're mm-hmm. correct. It doesn't yeah. need to be said. That, right. that, that goes into like the virtue signaling and shit. Um, now, your point about the vaccines, will they kill people? Where's the evidence? Why don't people like the conspiracy theorists bring stuff out? I think there's a lot of evidence to cause people to be untrustworthy of the vaccine. Oh, yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Like the fact that Moderna as a company has only existed testing products for 10 years mm-hmm. and every single product they brought to test has failed for potential long-term side effects Mm -hmm. and using mRNA technology and just never had a successful clinical trial. The fact that Mm -hmm. the creator of uh, mRNA technology has come out and spoken against its usage in this case. The fact that the uh, former CEO and chairman of the board of Moderna I can't pronounce his name. I know his name. It's like 19 syllables. He's an Indian guy. Uh, He was the chairman and CEO of the board of Moderna, um, who at the time owned roughly $1 million worth of stock in Moderna because it wasn't a big company. They had like 13 employees. Um, He was appointed by Donald Trump to be the chairman of Project Warp Speed, the public-private funding partnership, and then directed (laughs) the investment of $40 billion of taxpayer money into Mm -hmm. Moderna, which he never divested from. And he increased his own net worth from about $1.8 million to almost a billion dollars over the course of three months. Goddamn. But the right, the right and conservatives and libertarians ignored that as a piece of evidence because the only politician who called him out was Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. God forbid we agree with Elizabeth Warren on something. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and it's so funny to see so many right wingers be anti vaccine. And like, I I agree with them. But the problem is, is that like, you realize that Trump is still out there pimping out the vaccines, and he received millions of dollars from look at the cultural switch. Look at the cultural flip that happened because the vaccine development didn't even start under biden it started under trump mm-hmm. and during the election there was senator like kamala harris said she would never get the trump vaccine yep then she gets elected vice president and is pushing everyone to get the vaccine mm-hmm. like so many members of democratic leadership in the left were adamantly against this rushed vaccine that wasn't getting tested didn't have clinical trials was being funded through corruption uh, yep. And being forced on people. They said, this is bad. This is awful. The moment they took power, everyone needed to get it. Yep. Yeah, because like, then it could be their success. Right. Mm-hmm. Not that there's any actual clinical or statistical evidence to show it's had any effect. We actually wouldn't be able to tell that for 10, 15 years down the road anyways until right. we had actual postmortem data. But like, it, if you can claim a success politically, you win. Like people forget that Bill Clinton got elected president by getting second place in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's a real funny story. I watched her do a Hillary Clinton bragging about how it was all her idea, um, which I believe she's the sociopath in that relationship. But (laughs) there's only uh, one. (laughs) When Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas and decided he wanted to run for president, they skipped the caucuses. They didn't even show Mm -hmm. up to Iowa. They didn't get any votes in Iowa. Nothing. Um, They flew to New Hampshire just to campaign in New Hampshire. Michael Dukakis was also running. He was the governor of Massachusetts. Eighty percent of the New Hampshire population lives within 20 minutes of the Massachusetts border. Mm -hmm. He had universal name recognition here. Everyone knew who Michael Dukakis was. He was popular. 
here because he was a very conservative Democrat governor and we were a swing. Like he was very popular. He won New Hampshire without even trying in a landslide. Clinton came in a very, very distant second after campaigning rigorously and relentlessly for months in New Hampshire. And then the moment the polls closed, he declared victory. How the fuck did he do that? Yeah. He called the press conference and said the performance in New Hampshire was a win condition. They were moving on. Wow. Didn't matter that they didn't win the election. <laughs> yeah. They met their stated goal of a win, which was coming in second place because they knew they couldn't beat Dukakis. So they told everyone it was a win. The media ran with the fact that Clinton was winning. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> it's not like it was just uh, 2016 that the Clintons were fucking around. It was uh, back in the 90s, too. Huh? Right. It, it's This isn't like – this is the effect social media has where a false narrative gets pushed real quick, but it's not actually anything new. It's a tried, true, and trusted political tactic. Mm-hmm. That's why anybody who's taking any journalism classes, any ethics classes, any like study before the woke left destroyed academia knows about yellow journalism, knows that this tactic is what caused the Spanish-American war with the uh, blaming the Spanish government for the sinking of the USS Maine after it had an engine malfunction. Right. <laughs> Jesus. So uh, I guess kind of going back to, uh, I guess you're uh, your journey with Liberty, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier. Um, you were in the military. I'm guessing you en- enlisted as soon as you got out of high school. It, it was a back and forth decision there. I actually waited a year after I got out of high school before I enlisted. Um, I was actually a candidate for West Point mm-hmm. in high school. Um, yeah. <laughs> My mother never let me hear the end of it. I ended up not getting appointed to West Point after going through months of interviews, second interviews. I made it to like the final round. There was four of us mm-hmm. left. And Senator Ted Kennedy was the one appointing because I lived in Massachusetts at the time. And I um, may have made an off-color joke about uh, it's funny how the man determining the na- uh, future of this nation's military leadership is a drunken asshole who murdered a woman. Um, I did not get appointed to West Point. <laughs> um, <laughs> so back then, MySpace was a thing that the police monitored. and I didn't know. Um, <laughs> I was a 17 year old kid with a MySpace account, and my MySpace username oh. was Homewrecker with a heart of gold. And I made jokes about Ted Kennedy. Oh um, my fucking god! So it cost me an appointment to West Point when I had a visit from the police. And, um, <laughs> then I had a rough year and a half, like in the, like my senior year of college and my fresh my senior year of high school, and my freshman year of college in the summer between. I got involved in a lot of trouble with the law. I, I did some stupid shit. I was not always a libertarian. I did not have the greatest respect for private property <laughs> that I do now. Um, and I, I racked up one hell of a rap sheet in a couple of years. And um, I told the judge I was considering enlisting. And a judge uh, pulled me off off the record. We had a conversation in the chambers about it, it wasn't a go to war or go to jail thing. It was uh, we're going to reconvene in six months if we're going to see how this plays out, but I encourage you to go to the army if you were thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to do that. Um, And I did my time in the army and actually this is a story like uh, I'm very humble. I hate telling the story so much because like, I feel like it makes me the center of it. And I I almost wish the story was anonymous and I could tell it from an anonymized perspective um, because I I think it could be something really powerful to people from every different perspective and angle you can see it. But on Patriot's Day in 2013, I was the uh, 
senior non-commissioned soldier of the 181st Infantry Battalion in Boston, Massachusetts, and I was assigned to do security for the Boston Marathon. And I was running a security detachment of 20 soldiers from my unit who'd volunteered for that day to come out and work the Boston Marathon. That was normally, I'd done it every year. I loved that mission. It was my favorite CONUS mission when we weren't overseas. It was, you go, you do security, you get fucked up at a frat house, you go home. Like, <laughs> that was it. Like, we're all young. And I was... That year, it's, I didn't even pack an overnight bag because you never pack an overnight bag. You know you're going home that night. Uh, four days later, I got to go home. And I, I do remember at one point I was I hadn't slept in four days. My boots were covered in blood, like stained permanently. I ended up throwing them out. Um, but I'm sitting there playing fetch with just a random stray dog on the Boston Common, smoking a cigarette, four days with no sleep. It's like 6 a.m., um, waiting to go relieve one of my guys at his post so he can get some sleep. And a bus rolls up with the Vermont National Guard's military police unit because the Massachusetts National Guard's military police unit was deployed. They couldn't respond. Mm -hmm. So they called in the Vermont National Guard military police. Um, and the first one off the bus was a female sergeant major. And she just storms, sees me, storms over me. Why the fuck aren't you clean shaven? What the? And I'm just like, I'm never going to fucking volunteer for anything again in my life. And then I hear just someone behind me say, I'm going to hold you to that. And I turn around as a fucking two-star general mm -hmm. who then chews out the sergeant major saying, uh, why are you four days late? Who cares if he hasn't shaved? Um, which was the greatest experience in my military career, having a fucking general <laughs> chew out a sergeant major for telling me to do my job. Um, <laughs> but like, that's not, I said, I'm never going to fucking volunteer for anything. And, a few months later, they asked for volunteers to run security for 4th of July. And dumbass me, he's like, I volunteer. Fucking Katniss Everdeen this shit. Uh, I once again ended up being the senior enlisted person. <laughs> because anybody who's achieved some rank knows not to fucking volunteer for shit. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up being in command again. Of, of This time, 80 guys. Uh, I'm like, they got 80 fucking 18-year-old privates to volunteer for this because they're all gung-ho after the marathon. And I'm sitting there like 24-year-old specialist. I'm like, fuck me. Um, and I get there, and the first thing that happens, they assign me a second lieutenant. And I'm like, this couldn't get worse. Um, this kid is he's 22. He graduated college three weeks prior. The ink is not even wet on his fucking commission. Um, he has been in the army for six days at this point, and they gave him command of the security detachment for 4th of July in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I, I'm like, this is going to be awful. I'm going to hate this. I walk over and introduce myself to him, and I met what at the time I was convinced was the smartest officer in the United States Army because he turned around and said to me, oh, O'Donnell, I guess you're in charge, and I'm here to learn. And I'm like, I've never heard an officer say that to an enlisted person before. So I'm like, you're now the smartest officer I've ever met. So shut the fuck up and follow me. <laughs> um, but we got everything set up. We had our guys doing checkpoints and it was a mixed unit. We had National Guard, Navy, EOD, Coast Guard, Bomb Squad, um, ATF, DEA, uh, FBI, Massachusetts State Police, Boston PD. They called a mutual aid to get canine units from 34 surrounding uh, jurisdictions. Um, they had FEMA, MEMA, and the TSA all running checkpoints. Like it was the headline on the Boston Globe the next day read, There's more soldiers than spectators at 4th of July. <laughs> like that's how straight we had mobile camera units, we had lighting, we had detention barricades set up, we had mobile like jails 
that we had set up all around the city to detain people with. We had facial recognition cameras going at every checkpoint. Um, it was a true dystopian, like security theater lockdown. Like you didn't move. There was a cutoff to get across the bridge. And I remember at eight o'clock on the Friday night, somebody trying to get across the bridge, they cut off the number after letting the parents through and then wouldn't let their kids through. Holy shit. And cut them on, to, on opposite sides of the Charles river. And nobody would make an exception because the rules are the rules. Um, <laughs> but the, the Saturday, kids, yeah. yeah, it's Saturday. It's about noon. It's about 110 degrees or feels like 110 degrees. And I'm walking a patrol with my lieutenant in tow and explaining to him how we're doing food distribution, water distribution, making sure everyone's fed, everyone's hydrated, no one's dying. And then as we're walking between two of the bridge checkpoints, uh, some random dude who to this day I've yet to be able to track down. And I've been trying for eight years to find out who this person was and track him down, uh, pops out of the crowd with a lawn chair and just puts the lawn chair down in the sidewalk immediately beneath a mobile facial recognition camera and starts reading a book. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the hell? And my Lieutenant, starts losing his mind you're impeding traffic you're obstructing you're going to be arrested and detained blah 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 and i'm just confused because like this just came so out of nowhere i was not prepared to deal with this form of protest i had detained somebody for yelling at us we had arrested somebody just because he was deaf and i couldn't figure out what he was saying so i figured <laughs> i figured the boston police will have a translator they can deal with it yeah. like it was not like this i was not prepared for somebody to just jump out sit down and read and so i'm shocked i am quiet i'm sitting there as my lieutenant screaming and then i see i take in the whole picture and I start dying laughing and I just lose my mind and my lieutenant turns around he's like oh Donald what's so fucking funny I'm like he's reading 1984 <laughs> and my lieutenant's like and my lieutenant's like so what and so then I, over the next five minutes I proceed to explain the plot of 1984 to my mm -hmm. second lieutenant and at the end I'm just like ah fuck us he's like what I'm like we're the bad guys <laughs> like and it was that simple and like to me like the power of it it, it it was like i have dedicated my life i have suffered financially emotionally physically mm -hmm. to the cause of liberty i've moved a dozen times i i have spent tens of thousands of dollars on liberty causes and like dedicated my entire life to this cause because one fucking stranger uh... fucking jumped out of a fucking crowd to protest what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And like to this day, I still can't wrap my, I don't know who he was. I have a picture of him. I took a picture of him for Instagram. It's mm. still up on my Instagram of like the seven photos I've ever posted. Um, but like that simple act of protest and like, because people talk all the time about how protest is meaningless. The people who are blocking highways are fucking idiots. People mm -hmm. screaming at CNN. They might change one person's mind. Yeah. And that one person's mind might be somebody who's autistically hyper-focused and dedicated enough like me that they dedicate the rest of their lives to doing something about it. But like his simple act of just sitting there and opening a book in front of me caused me to have the realization that everything I had done in the previous six years of my life up to that point had made me the enemy of liberty. Yeah. And, and that's something, that's definitely something to consider. And it's like, Kind of like when you read Ordinary Men or you learn about the My Lai Massacre or things like that, where you literally learn that ordinary people are sometimes the, you know, worst purveyors of evil out there. Um, 
it, it kind of made me when you were saying that it reminded me of a conversation I had last week. I made a little YouTube short out of it, but um, a coworker of mine came up to me and said, "Hey, it's really cool to hear a younger person talking about being pro-life." And you know, I'm not like dogmatic about my approach to this. Um, I'm pretty pro. I'm very very pro-life, and I'm not afraid to like debate people about it. But um. Right. Just the fact that he said, oh, I was listening to your show, and then we had like a short conversation about it. Um, it, it goes to your point of never really underestimate the, um, you know, any kind of small act or, you know, the power of ideas. Because you wouldn't think that someone sitting down reading a book in front of a uh, facial recognition camera would mean anything to anybody. But when you put all the pieces together, that's... Yeah. Right. And it's like the circumstances, like he had no way of knowing he'd have that kind of impact. I, I'm willing to bet he was expecting to be arrested mm-hmm. and like try and make some kind of social media huff about it. Or if for all I know, I've probably met him and come across him because there aren't that many fucking libertarians in Boston. Like, <laughs> like it's fucking crazy to me. Like, but I have never been able to figure out who he was. And uh, like, it, it, it like, it's been such a knack for me because like, I think back about all the, what i've suffered what i've sacrificed what i've given up the like the countless hours that like it's probably closer to like 70 or eighty thousand dollars i've spent in the past 10 years on activism and supporting other activists and pushing shit um i actually want to thank him like <laughs> because like it, it was to the point was it, it was the timing of it was also so perfect like my re-enlistment was four weeks away whoa like I was about to re-enlist for a deployment. I was about to re-enlist to go on another deployment with another unit. Like that was my trajectory after that point. And like stewing on that for two weeks, I went into my unit and like, I'm done. I'm out like mm-hmm. paperwork. Let's go. Yeah. That's fucking insane. Yeah. And normally most libertarians say it's like, you know, the Ron Paul moment, yep. uh, the Gary Johnson <laughs> campaign, but for you, it was literally just seeing somebody sitting down opening a book. That is that's truly bizarre. It's, it's honestly, I, I do think that is a problem kind of with the liberty movement. And it it's a problem and a plus pro and con here. Like mm-hmm. we are such a fringe ideology that it takes something extraordinary to push someone to a fringe ideology. Right. I, I think the ethics and morals of libertarianism are in fact ethics and morals. It's not simply a political philosophy. It's a way of life and it's how you live your life and how you engage in your life. And so it can't be a purely political philosophy in order to truly embrace the politics. You must be willing to live the ethics and the morals of it and that takes a special kind of circumstance like jim bouchard the author of crazy angry libertarian he's from maine he's run for senate a bunch he has a radio show um like the whole theme of his book is that nobody ever becomes a libertarian mm-hmm. you you just a series of lives will you know, accumulate in your life and eventually the straw will break the camel's back and you'll realize you always were one all right, guys. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new sponsor. Um, I am now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT Electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink, sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes that you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um you need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. Um, 
sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, you don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes in water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So um, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through Element. All right, guys, thanks. Like these, these are your fundamental morals and your fundamental values that bring you to libertarianism. I actually remember a point where I didn't like Ron Paul in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, before all this happened, I remember watching, I voted for Gary Johnson in 2012, even while I was still in the army, because I remember watching the Republican debate where Gary Johnson was debating Mitt Romney, Ron Paul, and everyone else. And the argument between Gary Johnson and Ron Paul about heroin versus marijuana made me think Ron Paul is this crazy old fucking nutbag. And I thought Gary Johnson was the reasonable one. Maybe we should end their war on drugs, but legalize heroin. That's insane. And here I am. 10 years later, like legalized recreational cocaine. It's a performance enhancing drug for the workplace. <laughs> like, let's go, people. Like, Ron Paul didn't go far enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but there's a few different paths I think people take towards that realization that they're always libertarians. Mm -hmm. It's your academic approach. People who read Rothbard, they read um, like Dozik or Emma Goldman or uh, Konkin, or like you get absorbed in the philosophy of it and you just understand it naturally and it just attunes to your morals and philosophy. And these tend to be a lot of people who are raised very libertarian who naturally fall into it. There also tends to be a huge like correlation with spectrum attendance and fucking autistic people because you were reading Murray Rothbard at 14 years old and that's not fucking normal read a fucking novel like a normal <laughs> kid uh, Harry Potter is not a personality but it is a phase um, and like that group of people well, they make incredibly principled, pure libertarians with a very fine understanding of economics and ethics and morals they suck at sales and communicating yeah. and convincing anyone else of what they believe in because they were never convinced. Mm -hmm. They just always believe that. So they don't know how other people can't believe it, mm -hmm. even though it's French. And then the next group is your victims, people who were a victim of the state, people who uh, were like, they suffered because of the actions of the state and it's, they're either seeking to get back at the state to recover the wrongdoing or to improve it. So it doesn't happen to anyone else. These tend to be your single issue activists. They tend to be people who are, they might not be the most principled libertarian. They might not be the best ethical or moral libertarian, but they're really, really good on that issue. And they're one of our best spokespeople and best advocates on that single issue. Like Lynn Ulbricht, is one of our best criminal justice reform advocates in the liberty movement. She wasn't always a libertarian. She doesn't really quite know the ins and outs of uh, Austrian economics, or uh, she probably couldn't recite I pencil verbatim like most libertarians I know, but she knows criminal justice reform. That fucking matters to her. Her son Smart. is serving a double life sentence for nothing. Like she cares about that. And she's one of the best, most outspoken advocates of it in the world. Um, Edward Snowden. He's not a libertarian. He's a 
borderline champagne socialist who endorses Bernie Sanders and uh, believes in government programs, but still believes in government, just really cares about privacy and is suffering because of his stances on privacy and transparency. He's one of the best advocates for transparency and but data security out there, even though he's not remotely libertarian in the rest of his politics. Right. Um, Adam Kakesh is one of our best anti-war advocates. There's a lot of debate about the rest of his libertarian credentials, but if you stick him in front of a crowd to talk about yeah. the war, you're very rarely going to get somebody better. Like mm -hmm. You have these people who were the victims, and they serve as incredible ambassadors for that portion of the ideology because they can speak to the people who understand them and who they understand. Now, don't put Adam Kakesh in front of a criminal justice reform crowd. Don't put Lynn Ulbricht in front of a privacy and data security crowd. Like, mm -hmm. they're not going to work. The third group, and I, I think this is really the most important group because it's the smallest. It, it is absolutely the smallest. It's um, the people who've seen it from the inside, the people who have seen the machinations of the state from the inside who have been a cog in the machine who weren't victimized it by themselves but experienced vicariously the victimization of everyone else mm -hmm. through their own action they were the perpetrators they were the perpetrators and because when they speak to other people they're not trying to get people to empathize with them it's like that group of people is already empathizing with everyone else and they know how to frame it and tell us like, well, here's how we fucked you. They know how to turn a group of strangers into a group of victims. Yeah. And unfortunately we don't have enough of them mm -hmm. um, because it's very hard to leave that apparatus. That apparatus mm -hmm. is very good. Uh, I used to joke that U S military is good at really re two really, really good things, making Republicans and making libertarians. And it's much better at making Republicans mm -hmm. um, because the yeah. libertarians get drummed out. The moment you start questioning orders, you're no longer going to rise in rank. You're no longer going to have a successful career. The moment you start breaking your brainwashing and thinking for yourself, you're the fuck out of there. Yeah. That's we how that with vaccines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's actually something I never really considered. But um, yeah, the, the government does kind of keep you in that kind of loop, if you follow what I'm saying. So um, they pay you handsomely, they give you this whole beautiful job and this beautiful life. But it, it doesn't pay you to kind of look outside of that immediate circle. So, right. you know, it, it, like you said, the military will turn out plenty of good Republicans, right? We have a Republican running here in Pennsylvania who literally, I think, said something to the degree of having to murder a whole religion. Like, I think he, he seriously said something to the degree of murdering all of all Islamic people or something like that. It, it was something pretty fucked up, but he's a vet and what does he do he runs around and parades around his military gear when he's campaigning yep. for governor <laughs> yeah yep we have a candidate here in new hampshire don bull though he, he's actually like he's a decent conservative republican mm -hmm. um like he's he's he campaigns on being anti-war but if you press him on it he's totally pro-assassination and using drones against our enemies tactically um he was he's a retired general Mm -hmm. uh, but he was a captain when he went to Afghanistan in, in October of 2001 as one of the first five people to step foot on the grounds. Like, so he has that he's a special mm -hmm. forces captain. Like that's what he's running on. Mm -hmm. Nobody's asking about his policy on immigration. Nobody's asking about his policy on uh, abortion or healthcare access. Nobody cares what he says to say about um, economics or inflation or the housing crisis. They care. Well, he was a general. He's a veteran. Mm hmm.
Yeah, and that's a dangerous <laughs> fucking trap. Right. Like I actually, I got in an argument with Adam Kakesh once when I was running for Senate, mm-hmm. um, and, he, and he was like, why don't you have veteran on all your literature? I'm like, because then nobody will pay attention to what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> a lot of people just look at that and say, oh, he's a veteran. So, you know, the whole culture is basically simulated around the idea of, oh, thank you for your service, and right. you're so great. But you you want to make a veteran uncomfortable? Thank him for their service, because I've yet to find somebody who knows what the fucking answer to that is. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, no veteran I know actually wants to be thanked for their service, Um, but they really, really get uncomfortable when you thank them because it's like, what the fuck is the actual appropriate response to that? (laughs) (laughs) It's such a virtue signaling, like, thank you for your service. I'm like, I know you don't mean that, but sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just like a a pat in the ass and i don't do that for people anymore like actually my bass player in my band is a uh, a former veteran i think he he said he's probably killed over a few dozen people but you know he says you know don't get from our service he said i hate the government so fucking much because i worked for the government right. for seven years yeah uh, get him campaigning <laughs> like, yeah for real <laughs> no but to your point they trap you they absolutely trap you um the government is the is history's largest company town they give you a job they give you a house they give you benefits that you can't afford to lose once you start having kids if that kid has health care issues because of the fluoride in the water or the poor nutrition the government's forced on them or anything else you can't afford to lose that health care benefits that the government's providing for you so you can't leave that job because private sector you're self-contracting and obamacare really fucking sucks mm-hmm. like so like they've created such a meticulous trap and it's crazy. If you work for the IRS and you get fired, you get a job at the Treasury in a week. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and it's not even, it doesn't even affect your commute. It's like, yeah. they're next door to each other. And, and like the FBI, DEA, ATF, the agents will go between them mm-hmm. it, rather than being investigated for anything or wrongdoing. They resign and take a job at another agency where that's not on their record. Yeah, either that or you, um, if you leave Lockheed Martin, you get to be appointed like defense strategist or something like that. Right. <laughs> or consult with, but I'm quitting my job at Lockheed Martin. Why? To lobby for Raytheon. <laughs> like, like non sequitur. I, I drive by BAE Systems every day on my way to work, and they get a big Ukrainian flag lying out front right now. Oh, I bet they do. <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking, I saw it this morning. I was like, fuck us. Like, okay, make it more obvious. Yeah. Like, but no, no. To, it is, at, in fact, a company town. One of the most creative proposals I've ever heard somebody running um, say, I, I forget who said this. I have no recollection whatsoever. But the idea was to relocate every single federal agency to a different state. Okay. Because the headquarters of every federal agency is located in Washington, D.C. right now, or Arlington, Virginia, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. Everyone who works for them lives in that beltway. That beltway has a culture of very yuppie, expensive, liberal elite lifestyle. And that's affecting the management of the executive branch of the United States government because the people who actually make the decisions about the promulgation of rules and regulations and the enforcement of such and the decision-making in the Department of Justice, ATF, DEA, IRS, Department of Education, everything is a beltway liberal. Mm -hmm. That doesn't accurately represent the people of the United States and the diversity of the people of the United States. So how can it accurately govern them? Like, maybe we should move the Department of Defense to Denver and force them to hire from the Denver suburbs, where there's a completely different geopolitical makeup. Move the Department of Education to Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. 
make them higher from those suburbs and it, it infuse the federal spending you're going to be putting in there anyways into that local economy. You move some of the wealth out of D.C. to the rest of the country and also stop consolidating the uh, politics of the federal government. Yeah, well, I like that you kind of hit on the culture fact of that, too, because right. all in that 202 area code, um, you, you have to assimilate to this specific culture of this specific area. And if it's all just, like you said, liberal yuppie elites that all live right there, then you, what are you going to do? You're not going to go in there, a blue collar dude like me who's worked on cars for 10 years. Yep. I, I'm, I'm not going to fit in there. <laughs> Well, the, the culture, there was a point well, back when I lived in Massachusetts, right after I got on the I started working armored cars. I had I had no clue what the fuck to do. I, I got out of the army. My degree's in homeland security, and I'm refusing to work for the government on principle. Like, what the fuck else am I going to do? Uh, I wasted tens of thousands of dollars on a useless piece of paper. Um, so I started working armored cars in security. Mm-hmm. And um, Open carry has never been illegal in Massachusetts. A lot of people don't realize that because you think Massachusetts tough, crazy, crazy gun laws. Open carry has always been legal. Mm-hmm. I never once in my life living in Massachusetts for long saw somebody else open carrying other than a cop or a security guard. But I open carried every day on my way to and from work. Not out of principle, not out of protest, out of pure laziness. Because I had to open carry at work because I was driving an armored car and I had to open carry. And I was too lazy to swap out holsters and conceal on my way home. Um, but I would always walk into the convenience store and my, my uniform, I wore a polo shirt and black pants. It didn't say the name of the company anywhere on there. I wore put my vest on, I had the patches and everything. But yeah. Commuting, it didn't. I was just a dude with a gun. That's all it was. Um, the convenience store near my house, it, the clerks never gave a shit, never said anything. Um, one day, morning, the clerk joked with me. He's like, Yeah, last night a cop came in. He was standing behind you in line. And after you left, he asked me, What's the deal with the guy with the gun? And I'm like, <laughs> Well, what a great cop. Like, what if yeah. I was a problem? What was he going to do? Like, wait <laughs> to ask permission? Um, but directly across the street from the garage when we had all of our um trucks was in a, a convenience store and days i wasn't on the road if i was in the vault or something I'd, all day back and forth getting coffee and the old muslim guy that ran the place loved us because we were in and out of his store every single day mm-hmm. uh heavily armed and he never got robbed he thought it was the greatest thing in the world he's like at any given time there's some white dude with a gun in his store and for some reason all the boston trash stayed away (laughs) yeah he didn't care one bit but this town was newton it's a very uppity liberal town it was right on the border of brockton which is the opposite um and i remember one day i was stopping to get gas in my coffee i walk out and i walk out to a newton cop gun drawn on me screaming at me and i'm just like i haven't even finished the fucking coffee dude like fuck and screaming at me, fucking hand i'm like no i'm drinking my coffee and it's getting a back and forth screaming argument with them I'm like you put your fucking gun down you fucking lunatic uh he's like give me your license I'm like hands up or give you my license what do you want and like finally he calmed down i got him my license to carry showed him he's like what are you doing carrying a gun i'm like a fucking work 
there's an armored mm-hmm. car base right here. You know that. Why are you even surprised to someone with a gun, mm-hmm. like next to an armored car company? Like he's like, oh, you're not wearing a uniform. Like this is our uniform. You see us every day. Like that again shouldn't be a surprise. And he's like. And then he starts telling me, open carry is not legal, blah, blah. I'm like, ah, actually it is. And I cited the law to him about how open <laughs> carry is perfectly legal. And he's like, well, well, you're in Newton. It scares people. You should know that people would be scared of it. <laughs> like that, that was his, his, because people would be scared of it in a leafy liberal town. He drew on you. He drew on me. Um, but I shut him up. The shut up. He, I saw this cop again regularly, very mm. regularly. He never again said another word to me because when he said, you should know where you are, people will be afraid. My answer to him was 30 years ago, they would have been scared of an interracial couple. And now we have a black president. <laughs> That most of them probably voted for. Right. And so he just, like, he had no response. I walked to work. And it's funny because literally three days later, we had a power outage. And when we have power outage, you can't lock the vault. So you have to call the police to assist you near security. So he was at the base when I showed up for work in the morning. I'm like, howdy, motherfucker. He never said another word to me in the two years I worked there. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking great, dude. But the, that's the culture because the culture is the problem. It doesn't yeah. matter what the law is. It matters what the culture is. Absolutely. And this is something that I think the Libertarian Party has finally kind of come around to realizing. Um, and I know you're not necessarily a pro-Mises caucus guy. Um, from I'm not least- anti-Mises caucus guy. I'm a, you're all fucking retarded and need to stop <laughs> fighting over a Twitter account kind of a guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That's a, that's, that's <laughs> very, very reasonable ground to be at. Um, but it seems like they kind of realize that we need to have a unifying culture, at least some sort of culture sure. where people can kind of thrive in, in order for this movement to get up off the ground. And I think you saw this a lot with the MAGA movement, is that the reason mm-hmm. why the establishment, although I don't think the establishment feared Trump because Trump did everything they wanted him to do anyways, um, <laughs> and people like there's so much revisionist uh. history around Trump's presidency. Um, but there was a large cultural movement that kind of resembled freedom and anti-war, although a lot of them weren't necessarily that. It resembled that in the way that that culture kind of formed, right? Like 50,000 people up in the middle of buttfuck Pennsylvania Butler um, to go see Trump. Yeah. That, that says something. Sure. You know, there's nobody there for that. So it seems like the Libertarian Party is kind of getting around to this idea as well. So our candidate for governor here in New Hampshire, Carlin Borisenko, um, she's not somebody who's historically been involved in the Libertarian Party. She actually came from the left, which is wild because she's like wicked into the Mises caucus. And the Mises caucus loves her, but she was a leftist before she showed up here. Um, what she got famous for, and she had her like 15 minutes of fame with Prager University and the Walk Away movement. And they like, they, she was the darling of Walk Away because she on a whim one day as an avowed leftist, as an academic, she's a doctor of psychology. Apology, uh, decided Trump's in Manchester. I'm going to go to the Trump rally. This mm. fucking, I hate Trump. Let's go to the Trump rally. And she wrote an article about how nice everyone was and how well they treated her and how mm. nobody tried to fight her. Everyone just talked with her and how she felt more welcome at a Trump rally disagreeing with everything he said than she did at a progressive rally agreeing with everything they said. Mm. And the left canceled her over fucking night. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of goes to your point earlier. Yeah. What does the culture want? Right. But I think we do have a risk. You're right. The Mises caucus has recognized that we need a culture. 
politics is downstream from culture. We absolutely need that. I, I, I'm very big into art and media and um, I, I do a lot of art. I'm, I've sold paintings and I've sold portraits and photography I've done for more money than anybody could have made other than an NFT market. Um, but like, I, I believe you can, art is a medium that directly impacts and affects culture. And uh, one of the things libertarians suck at most in the realm of art is, is film. Like name name ten good movies with a libertarian theme, and you you'll struggle to narrow down the ten. Um, name a director with good libertarian values, and you will struggle to name a third. Mm-hmm. Like who consistently does libertarian movies? Nobody. Like occasionally somebody accidentally does a really good libertarian movie, mm-hmm. but it, there's nothing because there's nobody actually putting out libertarian. It wasn't explicitly that, yeah. right? It, it's it's usually dystopian films that accidentally in their world building get it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like you you can't make the anti-hero the hero of the uh, dystopian uh, war story somebody who likes the bad government. So mm-hmm. you have to accidentally put in a libertarian twist to it. Right. Uh, but usually, whenever it happens, it gets called out. Like I remember when Captain America: The Winter Soldier came out. Slate uh, Salon ran a headline like a week later. How did Captain America become a libertarian douche boy? <laughs> like, the, 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 the left recognizes the importance and value of media and culture and art. Mm-hmm. And they, will, they have such a firm grip on it, they will do whatever is necessary to defend that. And Absolutely. that's where libertarians struggle. And while well, the Mises Caucus recognizes the need to affect culture, to grow culture, and to build culture, to build a movement around it, I think they really struggle uh, to identify how to do that. And mm-hmm. I am not necessarily convinced that the current direction of the Libertarian Party is the best direction for that, um, With because it is a lot of shitposting. It was, it's a lot of in, in-group speak. It's a lot of in-group jockeying for position. It's, it doesn't really reach outside the echo chamber. And while it is important to secure your base before you try and grow your base, we need to get Libertarians to vote for Libertarians before we can ask other people to do it. Um, if in getting the libertarians to do it, you completely alienate everyone else, it's just going to make it 10 times harder to grow that group later on. And so I'm not 100% sold on it. Um, So far, I I really haven't fought against it because, well, 50 years of failure, I'm willing to see something different through. (laughs) I'm willing to give it a chance to work because I can't say for certain it won't. But I can say for certain what we were doing wasn't working. Right. And I think that's about the most reasonable take that you that anybody looking in or out could really have, because what can you say for the Libertarian Party after 50 years? There's there's nothing really to speak for. Nick Sarwark to this day blames me and A.J. Olding uh, for handing the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire over to the Mises Caucus. Um, the only thing me and A.J. did was show up to an advertised meetup of people interested in the Libertarian Party. And tell them the the convention was governed by Robert's Rules of Order, and they should familiarize themselves with it. That's all we did. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. We just went to this meetup of people we didn't know, some people we knew, mostly people we'd never heard of, who were organizing their own meetups because they couldn't get in touch with the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire and get invited to events. They were trying to figure out how to get involved, so they organized their own meetup. We caught wind of it and showed up, and then I realized they weren't getting invited because Nick and Gilletta and the in-group wasn't inviting anyone. Mm -hmm. Like, 
And the moment we just decided these people like, yeah, we want to join the party because we want to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, that's fantastic because nobody currently in the party has ever even said they want to do X, Y, and Z. Never mind do X, Y, and Z. You saying you want to do it is already more than they've ever done. I'm in. (laughs) Like, and... To, to, to this point, we just finished a ballot drive. We just finished a petition drive yesterday to get Jeremy Kaufman and Carlin Barsenko on the ballot. Um, the threshold to collect, you need 3,000 valid signatures. We collected 5,920. It's almost impossible we won't make validation. Right. Um, and I bitched and moaned. I told people how awful it was. It was very stressful to do. We've been doing it since April. It was a mostly volunteer effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did this drive in 2020, in 2016, in 2014. I have been involved in a number of petition drives, and this was by far the easiest, the most seamless and like smoothest volunteer effort I've ever been a part of. It's not to say it didn't have hiccups. It had a lot of fucking hiccups. Um, but the 25 to 30 people that would volunteer to do this mm-hmm. is more than the two that volunteered to do it last time. Right. So now it seems like there's a lot more people kind of willing to go get their hands dirty. And I've even seen this here in Pennsylvania with a lot of the people who are uh, kind of out and about here. So um, we've been shooting the ship for about an hour now. Um, I kind of like to maybe head on the way to wrapping up. But um, what kind of gives you hope about the Libertarian Party going forward um, for 2022-2024? Hope is a real strong word. What makes you optimistic? Um, I, I'm not sure I can be optimistic about the Libertarian Party, at least not nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I even point to other states and their failures, and here in New Hampshire and our failures. Um, I think libertarianism is a very niche and very fringe ethical and moral philosophy, as I've stated. I think the majority of people simply do not share our ethics and morals and thus cannot be convinced to come over to us no matter how hard we try. I think no matter how much we realize that taxation is theft, government services are uh, forced servitude, and like all of these things we believe about government, that is not true of other people. They just do not believe that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and they, they're fund their ethics and morals which guide their life. It's not theft. They, they are choosing to do it. They believe in those services. So how can we convince them they're bad if they truly value them? We can't. I think liber- the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Movement, in order to really have find some kind of niche modicum of success, needs to understand and recognize that its position and role in politics is one of academic exercise. Um, now you have things like Pennsylvania in, is a very unique circumstance. Florida is a very unique circumstance. New Hampshire is a very unique circumstance. These three states have electoral systems that are very dissimilar from the rest of the country, um, where it makes electoral success possible. Mm-hmm. But Florida and Pennsylvania also provide stark examples about how electoral success doesn't always translate to a good thing and it does and sometimes it just shows how poorly the movement is coagulated like pennsylvania you had a fantastic incredible libertarian win her election for mayor in a small town she was just on last episode 
She's great. I hung out with her at Pork Fest. I've had her on my show. She's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and when the state moved in to remove her from her position, she got zero support from the party mm-hmm. to help defend that position. She had to fundraise herself for her legal costs. The party did not step up. The party cared more about making Nick Sarwark upset at convention and going to Reno than defending an electoral success they had in their own backyard. Yeah. And that goes back to why I say I'm not sure the Mises Caucus is doing the whole culture thing right because they care more about the in-group jockeying than the professional success in a lot of spots. In Florida, they have all of these special districts um, and unique, like every town has a completely different government set up in Florida. It's wild. I can't wrap my head around it. I don't know how that state functions um, like with a state government. It, it's basically a confederation of independent towns that agree to let the state tell them what to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's mind-blowing. Um, but the Libertarian Party care, in Florida cares more about the number of elected reps they have than the positions in which they're in. So they'll run 25 people from Mosquito Control Commission Instead of taking the resources of those 25 races and dumping it into a county commissioner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Quantity and, over quality. And a lot of that culture in the Florida Libertarian Party is actually a direct result of the Libertarian Party national parties trying to emphasize a competition between Florida and Pennsylvania about who can have the most elected libertarians. Because those two states are the easiest to get it because you put a partisan label on fucking dog catcher in these states. Um, uh, and, and so it makes right. it possible to have more. So the National Party cared more about claiming victories than achieving their goals. And it created this cultural competition between Florida and Pennsylvania. But we have more elected libertarians than you. Okay, what do they fucking do? It's a good question. <laughs> and it's a completely reasonable question to ask. Right. Like, you had someone like Kate who got into an office where she could do real good, mm-hmm. and there was no support available to help her keep it. Yes. Um, you look at Wyoming. You have Marshall Burton in office where he's doing incredible good. He's not going to get support from the Mises Caucus or people in other states, even though he's having a profound impact. Mm-hmm. Here in New Hampshire, we probably have more libertarians elected in office than Florida and Pennsylvania combined. They just don't have an L next to their name. Right. And yes. they're having an actual meaningful impact yeah so this is part of my uh criticism of some people who are solely focused on the lp is that okay well what is your end goal is your end goal a bigger libertarian party or is your end goal liberty because in my mind the end goal should always be liberty and if that's by the republican party then you know i would prefer it be the libertarian party but if it has to be the republican party so be it well, if, and to expand on that, if your end goal is liberty and not the Libertarian Party, then what is the role of the Libertarian Party when it becomes an inevitable discussion? Like, mm-hmm. what is the role of the Libertarian Party in achieving liberty? If it's an academic pursuit involved in politics, then politics provides you the opportunity to shift debate, shift discussion, to push mm-hmm. the Overton window in a certain direction. Libertarians have a lot of unclaimed victories that we don't talk about, that people don't realize are huge cultural victories for the Libertarian party mm-hmm. but people never talk about if it weren't for the libertarian party and the activism of libertarians in the past 50 years marijuana wouldn't be legal in as many states as it is 
Those were mostly ballot efforts led by Libertarian Party members and funded by Libertarian Party members and petition drives done by Libertarian Party members, with the exception of Vermont, which did it through the legislature. Uh, everywhere else, it was Libertarian. I know the Libertarians in Massachusetts who put uh, – I know a woman who put over $1 million of her own personal money into the question for initiative to get marijuana legalized in Massachusetts. And she was a libertarian party donor and super donor. And she was very involved. Um, and she's run for local office or something. She like these people do this. Carla Howell, who uh, what most people only think of her as Joe Jorgensen's campaign consultant, who was terrible at communication strategy and everyone hated her because she wrote Joe nice. Jorgensen's communication strategy. They forget that in the nineties, she ran for governor twice in massachusetts and the first time she did it she ran on a platform of abolishing the state income tax and simultaneously ran a statewide ballot initiative to abolish the state income tax and managed to get enough support and enough following that they forced her into the debates and when she was on the televised debate we asked any question miss howell how would you address the school problems and uh, New Bedford. Well, let me tell you how abolishing the income tax will fix that. Ms. Howell, how will you address poverty in Worcester? Well, abolishing the income tax will address that in this way. Ms. Howell, how will you uh, deal with maintenance on I-90 and the toll booth? Abolishing the income tax, mm -hmm. abolishing the income tax lost by less than a half a percent. Massachusetts oh. almost abolished the income tax because of her, and she got about 18% in her election. She beat mm -hmm. the Republican Whoa. for governor. Um, and then the next time she ran, she ran on a single issue of legalizing gay marriage in Massachusetts because the Democrat was opposed to it. The Democrat candidate was opposed to legalizing gay marriage and was on the <laughs> record as opposed to it, along with Hillary Clinton and the entire Democratic Party at the time. Yet Carla Howell showed up to Pride in Boston, spoke on it, talked to everyone about it, and said, it's the libertarians who will actually do this. The libertarians care about you. And then she called out the Democrat by name while he was campaigning at Pride because it's mm -hmm. 400,000 voters in one spot and said, he doesn't support gay marriage. Two days later, he changed his platform. Two months later, it became the law. Wow. Yeah. Like, these are real victories. Four, uh, four years ago here in New Hampshire. Um, no, yeah, four years ago, two years. Yeah, I forget. One of those. Is it two or four years ago? There was a proposed amendment to Article 8 of the state constitution to give any taxpayer in the state standing to sue the state over any expenditure of resources. This wasn't a libertarian measure. It wasn't a libertarian rep. It was, uh, but libertarian party members went into the state house every day to, to lobby for it. Libertarian Party members canvassed the state campaigning for it, and it passed in a over 80% of the vote. Whoa. To strip the state's power to say you can't sue them and to end sovereign immunity in New Hampshire. That's a Back, big fucking deal. Right. You know the Kilo case, uh, Kilo v. New London, a big case with eminent mm -hmm. domain. It was a Supreme Court case. Um, there's a movie about it called The Little Pink House. And the woman... In Connecticut, the city said, we need your house. We're taking it in eminent domain so they can build a mall. Not for a highway, not for infrastructure, not for the public good, but for private purposes. They, they lobbied to get eminent domain to build a mall. She refused to vacate and went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court was a 50-50 split with Judge Justice Souter, Thomas Souter, being the swing vote that nobody knew how he would vote. 
in the end, the decision came out that he voted in favor of New London to allow them to seize their house. The very next day, the chair of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, John Baviars, filed an eminent domain on Justice Souter's ranch in the seacoast in New Hampshire <laughs> to build a hotel called the Lost Liberty Hotel. That night, the governor called a special session of the House of Representatives, and they passed a constitutional amendment to ban eminent domain in New Hampshire. And that is a beautiful fucking thing. These are all victories where the Libertarian Party, by pursuing elect the electoral process as an academic pursuit to shift the Overton winter, to actually shift the culture of politics, has had an immediately impactful result. I didn't know any of that, but that's that's huge. And like you said, um, me not knowing that being somebody who's voted um, libertarian for the last two elections and being involved in the party for the last couple of years, um, that's huge. And that should be celebrated. And that should be something that's kind of, um, you know, an example set where like, hey, we need to do things like this because I, I, that's making tangible differences in people's lives. And a lot of the drama in the Libertarian Party, and this is this has been my actual frustration with the National Party and the Mises Caucus takeover uh, to this point. And again, I'm still hopeful. I still support Angela McArdle. Is actually a good friend of mine. Um, She's awesome. Yeah, I've talked I've talked with Dave Smith about communication strategy. Um, like the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire Twitter account was a big problem, and that caused a big part of the drama in the national party because we were saying shit that we thought would shift the Overton window to push our local culture more in the direction towards liberty. The big tweet that everyone got upset about that started everything was the legalized child labor tweet. Yep. I remember. Do you know that about six months ago it was signed into law? Whoa. It was too <laughs> radical for the libertarian party. Uh-huh. But it became enough of a popular sentiment in New Hampshire that after the end of the lockdowns and the pandemic, the governor signed a bill uh, removing the restrictions on uh, 12 to 16 year olds from working. Wow. And that's, that's huge. Right. Like, and this is what I tell people. If the, if our mission as the Libertarian Party is to affect culture, is to engage in the culture war, to shift the Overton window, to allow more Libertarian policies to become affected then we must do so by distinguishing ourselves from those who are opposing, the Republicans and the Democrats. How can I distinguish myself from Republicans in New Hampshire if they are already more libertarian than 49 state libertarian parties? I got it. It all makes sense now. You know, I, I can remember in 2020, I think it was looking at all that and having no idea and thinking, you know, it's, it's a little ridiculous. I don't know if I'd say that in a national account, but it makes sense, dude. It, it, it clicks. It, it's because we're actually winning here. Mm -hmm. It's because the culture here in New Hampshire has progressed to the point where when we passed constitutional carry, it passed in a supermajority, including Democrats. Mm-hmm. Like it that passed when we repealed the child labor laws, Democrats supported it. Like libertarians have become so influential in New Hampshire that progressives and socialists have regular protests and sine waves and organized gatherings just to oppose libertarians. Mm -hmm. We're not even elected, we're not even in the state house. Yet they're campaigning to get rid of us. 
You can't though. You can't. What? Because how are you going to, how are you going to make people move? I mean, you guys already have roots there and there's plenty no, of really easy to make there, people yeah. move. And, and that comes down to the crux of it. You asked, what is my hope for the libertarian party, the liberty movement whatsoever yeah. moving forward? And when I said it, it's a fringe ideology that the only a minority of people mm. will ever embrace libertarianism truly that means we cannot spread out we have to be in one spot god damn i think you've made the most convincing case for the free state project out of anybody i've talked to and i i haven't sat down and had full-blown conversations like this with many free staters but uh you provide a hell of a case and i've never heard it laid out so beautifully um do you have any closing thoughts or do you want to go on to the uh, last couple questions I ask every guest? Oh, go ahead. Cool. Um, what does liberty look like to you? Being left the hell alone. <laughs> <laughs> I got asked this question once by a documentarian who popped out on me in the middle of that. I was in the middle of a rally. I was working for Gary Johnson at the time in 2016, actually. I ended up taking a job with the campaign and I was working for him. Um, in hindsight, I, I worked with Bill Weld's team. It was a nightmare. But <laughs> we organized an event in Boston and about like 8,000 people showed up. It was massive. It was the biggest event of the whole campaign. Mm -hmm. And I'm working the crowd. I'm arranging shit with security because we had security. Boston police showed up very upset about how many people we drew for a third-party candidate. Um, and all of a sudden, some fucking homeless-looking guy with a top hat, raggedy clothes, and flowers all in his beard pops up, puts a camera in my face, and asks, what does liberty mean to you? And it's like, all I could think on the spot was being left the hell alone. Next time I saw that clip, it was in a Vermin Supreme documentary. So uh, that, that's just about who I asked if that was him. Yeah, uh, but it was his documentarian, Rod Weber, mm -hmm. uh, who legally changed his name to Epstein Didn't Kill Himself. <laughs> uh, but no... It, I, I think it's actually more nuanced than that. Like, I was on the spot. I, I was not thinking clearly, like, liberty, like, what does freedom mean? Freedom means freedom from consequences in all reality. And a lot of libertarians will define liberty and freedom by the non-aggression principle. And we didn't get into this. I have on other shows I have with Jose Galasson and mm -hmm. others. I, I don't believe in the non-aggression principle. I believe anybody who claims to be a pacifist has just never been hungry. Um, because like once you get to the point of biological starvation, your instincts will kick in. You will be willing to do harm to someone for your own survival. And anybody who says otherwise, they've just never reached that point in their life. And like you cannot be an honest pacifist. You can be an honest, conscientious objector. You have a conscious objection to the notion. But to, to say you will never engage in violence just means you've never been put in a situation where you've entertained the possibility. And so I... And I, I look at the history and I have yet to be able to find a single example of a political or cultural revolution that was accomplished peacefully. Like everyone like points at Martin Luther King, his entire protest was premised on violating private property rights, stealing shit, breaking into businesses and doing sit-ins. And it was backed by lethal force by the Black Panthers who threatened to kill anyone who opposed him. Like that was one of the more violent revolutions you can think of, they just don't teach kids about Malcolm X. They only teach from Martin Luther King. And they talk about Mahatma Gandhi, his peaceful revolution. Like, no, there was a violent terrorist organization that was bombing British embassies and killing British soldiers all around India. The British government chose to acknowledge Gandhi because it made them look like the good guys. Mm -hmm. um, like, there has never been a successful 
revolution accomplished by peace. And I do believe true liberty will come at the hands of revolution because it, there, I cannot fathom a system of government which respects human liberty and human freedom and allows you to take the full right to decide every action that affects your life and the full responsibility to deal with the consequences of such. Um, and I believe anarchy is the only solution for that. And I don't think anarchy can come without complete and total abolition of the government structures that exist over us. So I, I don't know what freedom looks like because it hasn't been theorized yet. And all of we, we've based a lot of our anarchist and libertarian philosophy on the writings of people who were dead before the internet was invented. So, yeah. Like... I talked to Karin Ross about this. He he's, uh, runs Independent Diplomat. He's the subject of the documentary Accidental Anarchist. He was an Iraq war whistleblower. He was the guy who blew the whistle on the UN weapons inspectors for making up evidence against Saddam Hussein. Um, lost his job with the British Foreign Ministry over it. And now, yeah. <laughs> and now he's an anarchist. He's a full-blown anarchist, and he actually helps people set up communes all over the Middle East like and set themselves up independent of government. And he's phenomenal. But like, he he... He's an anarchist who runs a diplomacy service. Nobody ever taught me that anarchy needed diplomacy because why would there be states? Well, there's other anarchists and states you need to communicate with. It's just Rothbard and Nozick and Emma Goldman and Kropotnik and Conkin. None of these people could have ever envisioned a world where mass communication was possible. So they couldn't have theorized a way to incorporate a global economy into an anarchist system. Yeah, and that's there's a lot of different kind of moving parts when it comes to that. So, so um, I don't, I yeah. can't say I know what it looks like. I, I, I could say I know what it would feel like, mm -hmm. and that's feeling responsible, like knowing that whatever happens, it's on me. But what it would look like, no, I nobody's written it yet. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm, I'm not, I don't have enough of an ego to say I can write it myself. Yeah, well, that's that's a very very fair answer, and it's definitely uh, you detailed it out like uh, no one I've had on yet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're 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 two for two. Um, what what does health look like to you? Nope. I'm not the healthiest guy in the world. I'll be the first to admit that. Um, I, my knees barely function. I'm very overweight. I got uh, issues with damage to my body from the military and uh, eating disorders when I was younger, and like a whole bunch of irreparable shit and genetic illnesses. Um, I don't ever really ask myself that question. What does health look like to me? Because to me, it's the next day. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, it, it, there's an old game. Like, imagine you were born in the 1500s. Everything that has happened to you in your life still happens to you. How old are you when you die? Who the fuck knows? I was about 12. I was about 12 when yeah. I split my skull open. And had to have it surgically repaired. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would have probably been maybe <laughs> three or four <laughs> years old if yeah. that. I was 14 when I broke my femur. I was yeah. uh, 13 when I broke both my arms simultaneously. Like, it, I don't know what health looks like because to me, health is just tomorrow. Like, I have had so many, like, I am a product of medical science that I'm even alive today. Mm. Like, and so many people are. Evolution has stopped. Like, the evolution might not be stopped, but we definitely altered its course. It's no longer survival of the fittest. It's no longer the peak performance of human health. It's no longer the cream rise to the top. It's because anything wrong can be fixed by technology. And 
I do question how that is affecting the long-term health of the species, the human race. And then I stop myself real quick. I'm like, no, that's Hitler. Don't do that. <laughs> like, like, but like, it, 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 it's a question I don't like asking because I know I am not a picture of health at all. I have poor physical activity. I'm a, like, I used to run 10 miles a day. I wish I could get back to that. My knee can barely make it down the stairs since like I had some issues like with it exploding on me. Um, but like, I used to love running. I ran the Boston Marathon four times. Now I'm 300 pounds. Like, <laughs> um, like I had a metabolism when I was running 10 to, 12 to 18 miles a day every morning where I, I would just sit and eat constantly nonstop all day. I could never fill myself up. Um, now I'm constantly hungry. I cannot, like, cannot. It's definitely an eating disorder. And I'll be open about it. Like, I'll order a pizza. It'll be gone in five minutes. I, and I know that's a problem from a health perspective. But so to me, health is just tomorrow. It's like every day I'm here, I'm grateful for it. I know I'm a product of medical science that's kept me here as long as I am. Um, if it wasn't the broken femur, if it wasn't the shattered kneecap, if it wasn't the knife wound, if it wasn't the bullet wound, it wasn't the exploding appendix, if it wasn't the collapsed lung twice, uh, if it wasn't the swine flu that I had, I was in the ICU for two weeks with that. Like any number of things could have killed me at this point. And um, the fact I never even got COVID is a laughing matter. Yeah, because I might be the highest risk demographic for COVID, and I never even got it. <laughs> now, well, that just means you, uh, you, you're still in the uh, control group. Yeah, but like, I, I also hate the question when other people ask it too. Like, mm -hmm. what is health? Because we don't actually know. Like, th there, there is substantial research that shows the human body responds positively to a vegan diet and that's the, the better healthier diet from uh, metabolism and brain function and everything else and then there's a bunch of other credible research that shows it's a carnivore diet that the body responds to better for those exact same functions yeah it, it's <laughs> nutrition science the deeper you dig on it uh, you'll find there's a lot of bastardization yeah, I, I know what health it. isn't it's yeah. not the government because the united states federal <laughs> uh, the food and drug administration Mm -hmm. Like the United States Food and Drug Administration spent how many millions of dollars of taxpayer money pushing a food pyramid on people that said processed grains were the healthiest thing you could eat. Right. Yeah, it's I 100% agree. Um, Justin, where can everybody find you? It's been an awesome conversation, dude. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at O'Donnell4NH. It's an old tag from when I used to run for office, but it's got a blue check mark, so I won't give it up. Uh, <laughs> um, in my, my link tree is uh, the link tree is just Subversive Pod. I host uh, Subversive every Tuesday night from 9 to 10 on YouTube, Odyssey, Facebook Live, and then streams on every major um, podcatcher and on the radio on Wednesday morning uh, with LRN.FM, so you can find more information there. Um, still building a website. I'll get around to it one day, but Twitter's the best way. My DMs are open. Feel have any questions, want to talk, feel free to hit me up. Cool, dude. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and I really enjoyed the conversation and you definitely made the uh, most convincing case for the free state. Come to Porkfest. Uh, you know what? Uh, that that <laughs> may be a thing. Um, yeah. Drive up with Kate because she's coming back. Yeah, she's a few hours away, but uh, we do have a camper. So that's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it is something I've considered. Um <laughs> Yeah, dude, if you got if um you don't got any more closing thoughts, we'll close her out, dude. Uh, I mean, just closing thought is just remember, we, I don't we didn't even really circle back to this, but the right is doing to groomer what the left did to racist. <laughs> the culture war matters. Winning the culture war matters. 
you can't win the culture war by adopting the culture of your enemy. Absolutely. It's not, it's not the use of the word. It's the tactic in using the word. It's not the definition of the word. It's how it's being used as a weapon to bluntly and indiscriminately attack anyone who disagrees. That is a tactic of the left. It's the strategy of the left. It's the culture of the left. And if you embrace the culture of the left, you've become them. I think some libertarians are definitely headed down that way, and they think that's the uh, be all end all. And uh, I don't think that's the best way forward either. No, and it's dangerous. And you know, listen, one of the centrist conservatives that I respect an awful lot, Lydia from Timcast, mm-hmm. um, she dogpiled onto that whole tweet thread I had where I said that, and people got really upset. And she said, "No, that's not true. It's not happening yet today." In a three tweet sequence, in a three tweet thread, she went from repeating a lie and misinformation about monkeypox being an STD that only affects gay men to saying all gay men should be banned from uh, having contact with children. It's exactly what I'm talking about. Because she's trying to jump in on the whole right wing thing. That's the way all fucking... I gotta go. I can't talk about Tim Pool. (laughs) Adios. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.